another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. My guest today on the Unicorns Podcast is Linda Coker. Linda has worked all over the world, but currently calls Sydney home. She's an in-demand business strategist and advisor. She's an award-winning mentor, a public speaker, investor, and board member. Linda is also a graduate of the prestigious Stanford University in the United States, and she's involved in a creative tech incubator in Sydney called The Studio, as well as Scale Investors and the Ocean Impact Organization. She's certainly very busy, and I'm pleased to say she joins us on the program today. Linda, welcome to the Unicorns. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you're clearly someone who likes to say busy. Is that right? Yes. Well, um, I I do love being busy, but uh, not just uh, busy for the sake of being busy. I I guess I like doing different things. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. And I guess Early in my professional career, I've always, you know, I worked for, for an advisory firm for a long time, so it was very project-based and had a portfolio of different clients. So I'm very used to working across a number of different things at the same time. So I think it's it's kind of ingrained. Okay, so what um, what is your professional background? How did you end up where you are today? Uh, it wasn't necessarily planned. It was a bit serendipity by design, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I, I started life actually as a programmer, uh, but it's so long ago that I don't actually consider myself a tech person <laughs> anymore. Yes, yes. Um, and it's funny to now be working with a lot of tech startups decades later. Um, I actually shifted pretty quickly to the business side and I, I qualified as a chartered accountant. I worked... Um, I worked in a corporate finance advisory firm for a long time, um, mainly in financial services. So I had really large, um, you know, listed corporates as my clients, um, banks and insurers and and wealth managers, et cetera. Um, And I did that um, in the UK predominantly for a long time. Um, And then I came back to Australia and I just sort of hit, hit a point where I thought, oh, I, I really need to do something different. It wasn't sort of just moving back to the other side of the world that prompted that. I just thought, oh, I think I really need to kind of unplug myself from this corporate yeah. and, and and do something different. And I took some time out and that's when I did my study. And I realized that I wanted to um, get involved with much sort of smaller, innovative businesses rather than the large listed end and it made sense for me to focus on fintech um, because my background was yes. very financial services so I started um, mentoring and working with some of these companies and I just started connecting so the the, the startup ecosystem in, in in Sydney actually Australia let's be honest is, is, is small and it's not hard to to get connected and over the past five years that I've been involved I've seen it mature and grow which is great Um, with lots of different sort of education, support, investment um, and others. So I've loved the journey um, and um, I'm lucky to be involved in in so many different things and there's a lot of exciting things coming up. So if you were to reflect on your professional background, how important do you think it is that you had that, I suppose, formal training in in numbers as an accountant, in, in corporate finance, understanding 
um, a balance sheet, profit and loss, knowing, you know, the difference between profit, revenue, all all of the stuff that that goes with, um, you know, running the numbers. And if you apply that now to some of the work you're doing, how important has that been? Well, very. I mean, there's a direct link in translation. Um, the way you assess um, a business is 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 always sort of you've got to understand um, what the product, what the market is, what's going to drive revenue. But but I will also say, um, I mean, I think that's just sort of grounding in um, commercial, you know, acumen. But uh, I would also say early stage investing and that and that um, path is very very different to the to the large listed end. Even though the basic principles are the same, um, there's a mm. lot more risk. Obviously, there's a it's a completely different investor community. I mean, I didn't have a network in that community to start with, so it's been an education and journey for me. But sort of, I guess, a natural alignment given um, I had a background in um, in uh, M and A in due diligence and and lead advisory. So um, it wasn't unnatural, but it was still. I wouldn't say it's the same. It was still a journey. Yeah. Okay. So clearly, you're a you're a multitasker. Uh, as a multitasker, how do you optimize peak performance? Uh, diary management. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't, uh, don't overcommit. Uh, uh, I guess manage expectations of others is is really important. Um, if you can't do it or deliver or help, uh, in then then don't say you can. I mean, it's okay to say no, and I think know when to say it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a big advocate of saying yes and putting your hand up and getting involved in things, but but not mm. not to the detriment of of actually you don't have the time or it's not appropriate. So I get approached all the time, um, actually, uh, and you know I always try to meet people for coffee, um, but you know there's only so much time in the day, and also I will be honest with people, you know, if I can't help them, yeah. um, But I'll think about I'll think about who I can connect them to that 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 can, and I guess the other thing is is like you've got to also have time for yourself. So I, I'm I. Sneak time in diary in the diary just for me. I'll, I'll put I'll put it in as an I'll put it in Linda as a meeting. Tyler. I'll put it in as a meeting. People can see people can see I'm busy, and I uh, I try to treat it as an important meeting I can't miss. So you know, like actually, I do need to go to the gym today. It's been yeah, cool. okay, I like okay. it. Keeps you keeps you grounded. Keeps you you know normal. Yeah. Um. So tell us what you're actually involved with now. Um, I mentioned some some of the things you're doing in the intro, but maybe maybe take us through step by step what you what keeps you busy during the day. Yeah, so I, I'm actually involved in quite a few things at the moment. Um, I you mentioned uh, at the start um, the Creative Tech Incubator, so that's the studio, and I'm actually you know in our sound room at the moment. You're in the studio but... as we speak. <laughs> Exactly. So I'm on the board there. Um, we launched um, when the Sydney Startup Hub launched. Um, we tended for some space, uh, but we're very focused on the media and creative tech verticals. So we support startups in that um, in that area. I mean, it's actually quite a broad vertical, um, and it's certainly been educational for me because I'm not from that world. So we mm-hmm. support startups that are um, you know building tech solutions, but around film, video, animation, gaming, VR, it's you know AR, etc. So we have Well let's 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 give a plug to some of them. Who's um you know who's who's in the incubator or who's been through the incubator that uh, 
We've, we've had some really exciting businesses come through, actually, and, and, and we've made an effort to make sure that the community is, is diverse also. Um, but I guess one of our rock star um, uh, tenants has been Uvu. I'm not sure if you've heard of yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, so they've... they've um, they, they are no longer in the space because I guess that's the thing. We're an incubator, right? You incubate, yeah, businesses and grow, and then they yeah, move out. Uh, that is the model. So, um, uh, uh, that, I mean, that's actually a sign of success and you want and you want that. So they've been very successful. They've raised, you know, over $20 million. Um, they've built a platform which is actually marrying up um, uh, broadcasters and publishers. So you might have... Um, for example, the New York Times wanting writing an article and they're looking for independent video content related to that article. So their platform independently searches using the context of the words in that article to find video content from others on their platform to put in that article. So, for example, they've got the BBC and do, do you know what I mean? So it's about actually mm. not just mm. providing that service but giving money back to the to the broadcasters, um, you know, rather than the Facebooks and Googles, et cetera. So, um yeah, so so they've been um, a great advocate um, for us. We have um, we have other startups that are, that that are doing quite niche things in 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 VR for for education for health, um, but also you know more broadly sort of media and communication sort of marketing tech platforms. I guess it's it's interesting. I mean, I come from a fintech background, and there's, and there's and you can you can sort of talk about you need to always pay for services. So sometimes there's a fintech element to, to every every yeah, yeah. Uh, startup. But similarly, media and communications, you've got to market your products. So there's sort of a media element um, or marketing element to that to that too. So uh, we're a not-for-profit. Um, we fund ourselves through uh, the government and corporate partners and sponsorships. We have Dolby and Animal Logic as partners. UNSW has been an important partner. Also, they've... Um, provided us not just with funds but um, access to their facilities and they also for their students they they come and intern here and work with some of the work with some of the startups here too so that's exciting um, so yes yeah, so the studio is so I'm that's on the, board. the studio yeah, yeah so I'm on the board here um, I actually sort of my day job is at Vault Bank which is a startup neo bank um, yes launching a banking as a service platform which is exciting um, so I spend a lot of time with them in terms of other board and advisory roles I'm on the board of scale investors which is an angel investor group um, where we support female founders I mean we, we sort of have investment criteria where we only invest in female-led businesses but across sector and um, so we've also got a diverse portfolio there um, and I'm an advisor for Seedspace, which is a fintech VC, very focused on the fintech. Um, yeah, we know we know Seedspace well. Yes, uh, so that's great, and they're building their their portfolio and also um, raising money. And I am also an advisor on the Ocean. Uh, sorry, it's called OIO, which is Ocean Impact Organization. Mm. Um, the logo is actually OI with a little, uh, little <laughs> dot on the uh, dot on the X, dot Oi. on the I. A very very Australian, but um, but uh, that is uh, an exciting new organization launched last year. And um, uh, what that is about, we held a pitch fest last year that was sponsored by Bank Australia. Thank you to Bank Australia. Um, really is a discovery exercise to explore and search for startups that are innovating in this area. And again, it's a broad 
thematic, you know, it's um, not just about um, protecting the ocean from pollutants and plastics, it's about uh, protecting the marine life and the overall health of the ocean. And we feel that Australia should be a leader um, in that area. You know, we're surrounded by ocean. Mm. Um, so it, that's been really interesting. Where we sort of, um, uh, uh, we're early stages in terms of working out what are the next steps. We, we initially thought we'd build an incubator, but actually we're thinking we might start off with some very niche aligned initiatives or programs um, and are speaking to sort of, corporates and philanthropy in 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 that vein um, but there's been a lot of interest and support so that's quite exciting actually the sydney institute of um, marine science um, is connected to us so it's great to be connected to a um, to a research organization like that and i have other partners and support supporters like deloitte um, which is great so yeah so so i, I kind of have my fingers in a few different <laughs> pies uh which i'd like to see your diary Keeps life interesting, um, but uh, no, it's all it's all exciting, and there's obviously you know overlap with some of those too. But what I would also say is I, I, I often you know like I make sure I don't have any conflicts, and sometimes you do have conflicts that, that crop up. So you know I sort of yeah, step yeah. away, step away from those. And I I was previously doing a lot of mentoring um, on a number of programs. Um, I'm doing less of that now because I don't have time, which is unfortunate because I really love that. So I I probably do that a little bit more ad hoc. I'm I'm often a coach for um, SBE Australia, which is another female. Um, oh, I know SBE. Yeah. Yeah. So female founder program and 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 a couple of the others. And I, and I often get involved, and I love getting involved in. Um, you know, um, lots of sort of judging, you know, I judge for the fin- Finneys and, and and I try to talk on um, a lot of different panels if it's a, a topic I feel passionate about. So, yeah, I have a very weak, um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good and, and it's um, inspiring and it's, uh, you know, there's, there's what, I, what I do like is this, there is so much opportunity here and yeah. um, I'm, I'm glad to see, as I said, the ecosystem sort of maturing and um, more connectivity between, you know, government, universities, industry, um, the investor community, and really, um, you know, there's, there's, there's. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's more that needs to be done, and I think there's more improvements that need to be made. But, um, but just even the growth in the last couple of years has been um, extraordinary. Well, given your work overlaps in a few different areas, if you were to compare, say, what Australia is doing in startup land to other parts of the globe, and if you look, say, to North America, Asia, Europe, how how does Australia, in your view, stack up against the rest of the world? So, look, they're very different markets, and obviously, some of those markets are a lot larger and a lot more mature. But I think you know we should we should always be aiming to be internationally competitive. Um, and what I would say is, there's lots of great ideas here. I've, I've I've met so many diverse, interesting entrepreneurs. We we have a we have a depth of um, ideas. Our universities are strong. You know, we produce great research in a number of areas. What I would say, though, is um, I think that um, Australia needs to sit back and think about where do we have a comparative advantage, you know, where do we have a competitive advantage and comparative advantage. I don't think you can necessarily succeed at everything, you know, and, and I think there should be support and backing for that. Like, is it ag tech? Is it biotech where we have great research? Is it, 
you know, is it renewables? Um, you know, we're surrounded by wind, waves, sun, um, etc. And I think Australia is an interesting market in the sense it's a, it's a small market. You know, we're only 25 million people, but we're yeah. a sophisticated market. Um, we, I really feel, and I hope I'm not being too controversial in saying this, I really feel we need to shift our, um, our industry profile. I mean, at the moment, our export profile is, you know, around 50% or more of minerals we pull out of the ground and we stick on a ship and we send it to, to, to Asia. Um, yes. and our, and that's not sustainable either environmentally or economically. Um, and I feel that, you know, our services industries, financial services included, um, are very domestic. They're very, you know, they're not even the four big banks. It's just domestic market. So, and and that that's true of other services industries. Mm. So it's are we internationally competitive in those industries? I'm not sure that we are. Um, and we should be looking beyond Australia. And there are industries that do, don't get me wrong. So we should be looking beyond that and how can we be um, how can we reach global markets where are our strengths also in the um, also in terms of early stage investment I mean I, I talk to so many startups and founders it's really hard to raise money um, and I feel that that is changing hopefully you know we're, we're, um, there's money here you know there's high net worth yes. skills yep, here. Yep. Um, and I think often they're disconnected from the startup ecosystem um, and we don't sort of have Perhaps if you look at um, North America and um, the UK and others, we don't have kind of uh, the same depth of, um, you know, successful entrepreneurs that, that become serial angels. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And all money back in. Um, but there are government incentives out there to incentivize early stage investment. I, I don't necessarily think they are the same as... Um, as uh, as other markets, um, I think mm. also we have unique sort of tax settings here. Like a lot of people invest in in property, super listed equities because of imputation, you know. So I think it's a it's a case of incentivization, but also education. I think there are probably high net worth individuals out there that that are interested in um, in, in in investing in in startups. They're just not necessarily um, connected or educated in in that vein and yeah or don't know how to get started yeah and there's a lot of great there's a lot of great um depth of talent here actually just on that i think another issue is that we we struggle um with tech talent here um i think it's um it's is that um, is that retaining or recruiting or what what, what do you mean by that I think it's a couple of things. I think we, um, we well, not in COVID times, but um, <laughs> pre-COVID, you know, I think a lot of graduates would go overseas. Um, and uh, so I think we do struggle to retain. I think we maybe are a little bit um, restrictive on recruiting talent in. And, you know, Australia is a great place to live. We should leverage that. Um, and um, Well, I, I think th- the border closures have certainly hurt. Yes. So, you know, I think I think I think good talent is hard to find. So we need to work out a way that we encourage that development, you know, both retention and recruitment um, in, in a way that we create jobs here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot. I know quite a few startups that have actually flipped up to overseas markets and moved their headquarters there when they've gotten to a, to a certain stage or size. And that's been um, a combination of um, things that are, are less easy to fix. You know, it's a bigger market. There's a big customer base. There's a bigger investor community. I'm thinking about my next valuation and the money I can kind of try and raise and, 
And I think maybe staff is also an um, element of that. And what I think we want to be doing is actually sort of um, maintaining a presence here and, um, you know, employing people here, attracting money here. I'm actually not against... um, startups attracting funding from overseas um, as long as they're getting funded, you know, and and creating jobs here. So, look, I think it's a very complicated um, um, issue to resolve and there's a number of elements and parameters, but I think there is is opportunity, um, which is is the main thing, and and we just need to to keep trying to grow that. I think connectivity between the universities and the, you know, and the startup ecosystem has improved. I want... I'd love to see more corporate. Um, um, I think there's appetite, but I'm not sure that connectivity um, is always there between corporates and startups. I think there's a huge opportunity to collaborate and a lot of startups are looking for a corporate customer. It's not necessarily about competition. So, Yeah, um, and often, often the issue there is the buy-in from senior management within the corporates. Um, they might they might agree around the board table that it's something they need to do, but then it, it gets lost in the in the wash of business as usual activity. Yeah, and I think often you know if you think about corporate Australia, I think some of the large institutions here, you know, um, they're they're as I said before, it's domestic market. Maybe they're a duopoly or oligopoly. They're not necessarily sort of. Um, worried about competition from a little startup, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I think what they need to be doing is um, not just sort of having conversations where they are or innovating around things that are complementary to their business. I think they need to be thinking about, well, what is going to disrupt my business? What is going to disrupt my business in the future? And, and you know, let's, let's think about what's out there already, what's happening and um, connecting and innovating in that vein. I noticed you studied at Stanford uh, in the US. What was that like? Uh, So I did their innovation and entrepreneurship certification, um, which was sort of eight modules. It was, um, I I enjoyed it. It was, um, it was remote, but I did go to campus a couple of times. Um, It was, it was good. And it was, uh, it was great time for me because um, I, you know, I was at that point where I'm like, what do I, what do I do now? And it was a a good base for me to, to learn. And, and and the course wasn't just about, um, it wasn't uh, an education in the startup ecosystem, right? It was more, it was more about innovation more broadly. And there were a lot of people doing the course that were in corporate innovation or worked in different areas. Um, but one thing I would say that they do well is is the connectedness um, with other students, the student forums um, and the staff and access to materials, actually. Um, I mean, I think I still have access, you know, as an alum. They're just the access to materials that they... That they yeah, okay. Wow, okay. And you've lived overseas um, for many years. What, what are some of the differences, say, living and working... Uh, overseas to to working in Australia. What uh, what was that like? Well, I lived for a large portion of that time in the UK, um, where you know, um, I don't think culturally it's that different to here, yeah, yeah, <laughs> given yeah. uh, history. Maybe, and a, past. Bit co- maybe a bit um, colder. No, it was colder, and trust me, I grew up in Queensland, so um, uh, <laughs> I think I spent the first winter losing a lot of sort of uh, gloves and hats and coats and things. Yeah. I just wasn't used to needing to account for them. Um, but, uh, no, I was very fortunate to work on a number of deals and transactions that were in different countries. We're in um, a, lot, a lot in Europe, obviously, um, 
but many, many in Eastern Europe, um, Africa, in Asia, in, um, in, in the States also. So I was very fortunate to sort of be involved in different types of um, transactions. And I think what's interesting is two things. One, just sort of work customs and practices that are different, okay. as, well yes. as, as well as sort of societal um, societal differences. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, so I guess on the, on the work front, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I had some Japanese clients where, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very cultural. I think it's a pride thing, like in a meeting, um, if, if, if there's a misunderstanding or something's not clear, instead of asking, is that, you know, that they often agree and just say yes. And, and then when they go away and come back, it's like, oh, actually, no. So it's just sort of, you know, that's just sort of a practice. Um, I had a deal. <laughs> very, very, very smart strategic people, but I think it's just a societal. Yes, okay, interesting. Where actually, you know, they often agree to things in a meeting where the default is to agree rather than if, if they perhaps something wasn't clear um, or understand. Um, I've worked in Russia where... You know, there's that's quite different um, on 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 deals where um, you know it's 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 very common for people to have non-official income as well as official income, and that gets counted, <laughs> you know, your credit scoring and things like that. So oh, oh, um, I think there's a whole new episode we could do. Yeah, it's <laughs> just even little things. Like I was based in Amsterdam for a bit, and you know, I started drinking a lot more milk because in the cafe they just have a big vat of milk, which everyone else. No, they've, they've got other things in the cafes there. Let exactly. Me tell you and uh, I was in Argentina too. And let me tell you, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, uh, they all drink this stuff called mate. And um, everyone's drinking it. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I've never heard What's of it. What's it called? Spell it. It's called, it's, it's actually spelled mate, M-A-T-E, but it's pronounced mate. Yeah. And um, everyone's drinking it. And I'm like, I've never heard of this stuff before. Is there something narcotic about it? <laughs> yeah, what's um, but uh, it's very popular in Argentina and Uruguay. And what it is, it's a, um, there's nothing narcotic about it, but it's a, um, it's this tea that they they brew up and it's very common. Uh, it's very bitter, actually. Um I sort of had it with sugar, but they sort of pass it, they pass it around and everyone carries a little flask uh, around with them, you know, and I'd never heard of this stuff before. I'm like, what is this, what is this, what is this mate that everyone's drinking? So look, there's little, little funny things. There's some. Um, wasn't it Carver, was it? Sorry? It wasn't Carver. No. no. <laughs> Actually, it's, I think it's the, it's, I think it's the perfect, um, uh, thing for Argentina though, right? It's very high in in, in caffeine, yeah. Um, and they have very late nights out. Like they operate on a different time zone. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. Really, no one goes out for dinner until eleven p.m. at night. See, um, I, I don't know how I would handle that. <laughs> um, and it's meant to be quite a good digestive, also. And you know, you okay. eat a lot of you yeah. eat a lot of meat and steak in Argentina. <laughs> Oh, their bar- their barbecues are next level. There. I just can't Perfect believe that it's a red meat. Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> now, I notice also you are you do a lot of public speaking, and public speaking is one of those things that uh, people either you know really warm to, they love it, or it is like the worst thing they could possibly imagine because of the nerves. Um, and that might be, you know, a, a room full of um, 100 or 1,000 people or it might be, you know, just a, a presentation at work. 
uh, with you know a slide deck and you know six or seven workers. What what are some of the the tips or tricks or tactics that you can pass on to our listeners to make them a little bit more comfortable when they're doing their next speech or presentation? Um, look, I think it's a learned skill. Actually, I wouldn't even necessarily say I'm a natural public speaker, uh, but I think you start doing more of it and you get very comfortable with it um, or more comfortable with it. Uh, I think if I I would say, um, you know, I think it depends on what you, what you're, who are you speaking to? Know your audience. You know, what are they wanting to hear about? You know, it could be a really small fireside chat, or it could be a really, you know, large forum. Who's there? What are they? What do they want to hear about? And then you can uh, adapt your um, what you're talking about accordingly, and they'll get, you know, everyone will get more out of it. Um, and what's the messaging? You know, um, what, what overarchingly is the conference or segment or whatever trying to achieve and what can you bring to that bring to that message so um i mean i've, I've i do a lot of moderating and i have to admit you know in terms of um panels or speakers sort of really really um understand who they are yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can direct that um because it's uh you can then ask intelligent questions and direct direct the conversation rather than go down um rabbit holes but um yeah know, know your audience and be across the messaging and, and who else you're speaking with and i think it becomes much more effective and interact you know like allow for questions and um i i try to also connect with people afterwards whether it's someone i'm speaking on a panel with or people that are in the audience and practice makes perfect right you you, you do it the first time you might be nervous but you do it the 10th time and it becomes a little bit more natural yeah and i think one of the one of the early panel i was monitor, moderating on i i sort of had someone that was sort of monopolizing the conversation oh, yes. <laughs> and, and i've had ones i've had other ones where to go in a direction you're like oh i really need to back but you know so sometimes that can be a bit tough but um yeah look it's otherwise it's um otherwise it's it's fun it's great advice we'll leave it there today linda coker all-round business guru thank you so much for joining us on the unicorns podcast oh justin thank you a pleasure thanks for having me